This is Ye Old Dragons Library, the storytelling podcast. Here in Season 3, we're featuring the steampunk series, Guardians of the Time Stream. This is a chapter from the prequel story, Odessa Fremont. Ready for fun with fantastical fiction? Then let's begin. Chapter 11 Fancy meeting you here, Agent Sutter said, as S slipped around the corner into the laundry room, half an hour before she was due to start feeding coal to the enormous boilers. She turned to flee, saw him nod to someone over her shoulder, and felt the presence coming up behind her, but still tried to run. Big, strong hands caught hold of her by her shoulders, and she had a momentary vision of being flung over some muscle-bound man's shoulders and hauled away, where she couldn't imagine right at that moment. Sutter got up from the table, where Aunt Hazel kept track of how many sheets and towels and pillowcases and washcloths went through the laundry each day. He moved with an almost feline, stalking grace toward S, a smile growing on his face just as slowly. I recognized your hand the moment I saw those sketches, and the faces of the men. What sort of reward should we give a boy who's so diligent in his patriotic duty, Collins? You could let me go, S offered, keeping her voice low. Despite herself, she shuddered. Collins' hands tightened on her shoulders. She couldn't exactly explain that she wasn't afraid of him, but of Aunt Hazel or one of the boys she had worked with for so long, walking into the room. The unholy fuss that would result would ruin everything. I don't think so. Come along with us. Collins moved her aside as easily as if she were made of paper, so Sutter could walk past her and out the door. The big man shifted his grip, so his hand rested on one shoulder, an arm around her, and his grip just as implacable, even if it appeared a bit friendlier. I'm going to lose my job if I'm late, S said, as they guided her to the staff stairs. Of course, it made perfect sense for the Secret Service to use the back stairs to keep the general public from seeing them in action. Or don't show up at all? Sutter paused on the third step and smiled over his shoulder at her. Have you considered that these men might recognize you from the school and realize you betrayed them? Or just fear you could recognize them and betray them? And they would try to kill you just to keep you quiet? Your life is in danger. Why worry about a job? Nobody notices boys, especially boys with no one and nothing in the world, she countered as they started up the stairs. Secret service agents and traitors threatening the well-being of our country notice everything, Collins said, his voice just as big and deep as his bulk indicated. His hand lifted once, clapping her on the shoulder. Don't want to lose someone as clever as you, lad, especially with all the help you've given us. Who did you ask to track me down, she asked after climbing two flights of stairs and coming out on the third floor where the agent's suite was. S. wondered for a moment if the president would be staying on this floor as well. Was it already emptied out in preparation for him? For security? She couldn't remember if the amount of laundry had been dropping off the last day or two. Why was she wasting her thoughts on such details? No one. Sutter glanced at her again his smile thin but somehow begging her to share in a joke she didn't quite understand. I knew who to look for when I recognized your drawing style. He paused to slide his key into the lock. It didn't take much thinking to deduce who would have access to hotel stationery and who would be able to move about after midnight and find out what room I was in without being chased out by hotel security. 
I only had to describe you to the agents who have been here two weeks already, checking out everyone who comes into the hotel. Good. She was so relieved, she didn't resist as Collins nudged her through the door. Good? Sutter's eyes narrowed, and he reached blindly for the desk chair to pull it out and sit down while Collins closed and locked the door. What else have those clever eyes seen, Joshua? If that's your real name? Mr. Philippont, the night manager. I saw him when I was leaving last night. This morning, he was talking to two of the resurrectionists. They seem to know each other. You're sure? Sutter didn't strike her as doubting her, but simply asking because he had to. S appreciated that subtle difference. Innocent men don't come to the delivery door of a hotel at midnight and ask to talk to the night manager. Boy's got a point, Collins said, with a chuckle in his voice. More important, why didn't Buckley notice the meeting, Sutter said, his face shifting slightly. Not so much a change in his expression, but an impression of cold and hardness settling over it. House cleaning time again? The big man had the door open before Sutter could do more than nod. House cleaning? S asked. What did you do when you saw those men talking? Went back up the stairs. I was just coming down from giving you the sketches, and up to the second floor, and down the main stores, and out the front door. Why? Agent Buckley has night watch duty over the delivery door. If he saw you coming out soon after those men met, and if he is a traitor, he might have marked you as trouble. So I lose my job either way, S muttered. That earned a brief chuckle from him. If it's any help, there's a reward for helping to capture traitors and stop plots against the president. He gestured at a padded bench against the far wall. Have a seat, boy. Make yourself comfortable. Until we root out all the conspirators, you're here for the duration. Did you describe me to Mr. Buckley when you were looking for me? She gladly sat down, surprised at how her legs still trembled, to the point they ached a little. No, thank goodness. He watched her for a few moments, his smile growing wider. What's so amusing? I was just thinking how furious I was when I realized I had the artist in my hands back at the school and how easily you escaped. You knew that school inside and out, didn't you? A chuckle escaped him when S just shrugged. You have quite a talent. Much training? Another shrug. We could use good sketch artists like you for situations where a camera is just too cumbersome. But when you're older, can't send a little lad like you into danger. Another chuckle. Not that you haven't been in danger already. How old do you think I am? She was genuinely curious. Hmm, twelve maybe. I just turned fifteen. S nearly laughed when she realized that her birthday had passed and she had been too busy looking for clues to Ulysses' trail and being on her own to notice or even complain. Really? Again, that narrow-eyed, considering look. I wonder how long you can manage to pass yourself off as much younger than you are. When do the men in your family start growing beards or the voices start changing? Why? She sat up straight, astonished by the flash of insight. Are you... Are you offering me a job with the Secret Service? You've proven your courage, loyalty, patriotism, and morals. The ugliness of the war behind us has proven we need people from all walks of life to root out our enemies. As you said, people don't notice young boys. They also tend to ignore women in many places. The Pinkertons have had incredible success with women agents, and someday we may have women serving the country in the Secret Service. Imagine that, she murmured. 
the someday kept her from confessing that if she accepted his job offer, he would indeed have a woman in the Secret Service. Something told S. that Agent Sutter's superiors weren't quite that enlightened yet. Still, it was something to consider against the future. Three taps on the door alerted them both, just before Collins entered the room. His expression had changed from genial giant to something cold, so serious that S. suspected what had happened before he spoke. Hawthorne went to relieve Buckley half an hour ago, not at his post. They found him two alleys away, his throat sliced. Collins glanced at S. Stone cold. Need a doctor to know for sure, but Hawthorne guesses at least eight, ten hours. S. knew it would be little comfort to the somber men who seemed to communicate in silence to point out that Agent Buckley had not been a traitor, after all. She didn't have to think long to realize that if the plotters had spotted the agent watching the delivery door of the hotel, then they could know who other agents were. They might have seen her come down the main stairs last night, and someone might even now be wondering what a laundry boy was doing coming out the front door of the hotel hours after his shift was supposed to end. Someone might be watching the laundry and wondering right now why Joshua hadn't reported in for work. Maybe Mr. Philippont had been given instructions to talk to her when she came in, and he was about to leave his post and go home. Maybe. Her head hurt from all the possibilities, and most of them unpleasant and frightening. S drew her legs up against her chest, her heels resting on the bench, and shivered, feeling colder than she had felt since. She couldn't remember the last time she had felt this cold, not even when she realized Giles and Darius were dead, and quite possibly she was to blame through some stupid mistake, something she should have done and hadn't known to do, some miscalculation. Yuli, where are you? she whispered, and startled herself, speaking her brother's name aloud. Yes, she realized, she wanted, needed her brother. He might be a scapegrace and a rascal, and had gotten into some kind of trouble and vanished without warning, but he was her big brother and he would protect her and she needed him. After all, Despite all the amazing things she had accomplished, the adventures she had had, the scrapes she had endured, she was only fifteen. "'Who's Yuli?' Sutter asked, his voice softer, with a weary roughness. Somehow he had crossed the room and stood in front of her bench without her realizing. "'My brother. I'm looking for him. He vanished two years ago.' She shuddered, queasily glad she hadn't had breakfast yet. "'He's all I have left in the world.' For the first time since sneaking into Miss Van Hastings' office and reading the letter from her lawyers, S. truly felt she was alone. Well, we might just be able to help with that. He tried to smile. After all, we're the Secret Service. After you protect the President, she said. Good lad, Collins said. S. found it slightly amusing that both men were surprised that she could read and write. Maybe it was odd that a boy on his own had managed to obtain an education. Did they think boys without families lived in trees and ran with wild animals, like some of the Indian fables or the legends filtering east from the western plains? She wrote notes to Aunt Hazel and her landlady to cover her absence and to let Collins get into her room and remove her few possessions. S. suspected the man would search the chest where she kept her clothes and journal, but she hoped her impressions of him were correct and he wouldn't be so nosy as to read her journal. That would give away everything. As the long day passed, she met the rest of the team of agents who had come to Springfield weeks in advance of the President's visit. Most of them were friendly enough. 
A few were openly scornful of her identification of the resurrectionists, until Sutter revealed how she had provided sketches of all the men he had caught in the raid on the Academy. He didn't indicate to her that he connected her with the letters and evidence that had brought the Secret Service down on the Van Hastings. S. wondered when he would confront her and demand the whole story. After, they made sure the President's visit went off without a problem. Some of the men ignored S. once her presence in the suite was explained, while others hesitated every time they opened their mouths in front of her. There was nowhere for her to go, except perhaps hide in the bedroom, and she could still hear everything they said in the front room of the suite. The rest of the team immediately took her under their wing, understanding that a boy needed something to occupy him and keep away the fidgets, as Collins said. He went to a stationer's and purchased a sketchbook and proper artist pencils and a watercolor kit for her. Another man brought in a stack of penny dreadfuls, tales of the Wild West, and detective stories in the tradition of Mr. Poe to entertain her. She found more than enough entertainment observing the Secret Service agents at work, the private language they seemed to employ at times, and the tricks they used, such as changing into hotel livery when they needed to check on a room or some operation within the hotel. Agent Ashmore was in charge of picking up their food at restaurants and storefronts all around the city, a different location for every meal, to hide exactly how many agents were coming in and out of the hotel and staying there. S. had the impression that only four men were staying here in this hotel. The rest of the team were scattered throughout the block surrounding the building the president would be dedicating in just two more days. S. tried to help where she could, giving more intimate details of the operations of the hotel than strangers could obtain. She sketched floor plans and revealed several not-quite-secret passages that the laundry crew used to get around faster. Sutter winked at her, as if they shared a private joke, when she pointed out all the dumbwaiters throughout the hotel, some large enough to carry a grown man at a pinch. When S. thought about it later, she decided that yes, it was a private joke between them. She was grateful that he found her escape from the Academy amusing now. We've come to a break in the story. I'd like to take a moment to tell you about a book that you might be interested in reading. Looking for some space opera on the light side? Maybe something reminiscent of a certain groundbreaking TV show? You might enjoy the adventures of the AFV Defender, a starship with a growing reputation for misfit luck and adventures that puts her crew on the forefront of solving mysteries and problems in the Alliance. Book One, Friendly Fire, in which the Defender is infested with miniature dragons. Book Two, Here There Were Dragons, in which the Defender is sent on a diplomatic mission to a planet with dragons in their history. Book Three, Etrusca's Vow. Lieutenant Makar is sent home to Nisandros to face possible execution, or worse, diplomatic marriage. And coming this fall, Book Four, Inquest. Only one ship in the Alliance fleet has a reputation stranger than the Defender, and that's the Inquest, with her crew of rule-breakers and miracle workers. When the two ships are assigned to work together, the biggest question is which one will survive the mission. The AFV Defender series, space opera from Ye Old Dragon Books. And now, back to the story. That night... She slept in one of the two beds in the bedroom. 
Several times, she was aware of agents coming in and taking turns using the other. From comments she had overheard, the men were used to sleeping on the carpeted floor and on the chairs. She was grateful that she didn't have to share a bed with one of them. While she had no intention of ever revealing she was a girl, she didn't like to anticipate the reaction if any of the agents who were, in essence, protecting her, ever found out the truth. There was something chivalrous about most of them, and she didn't like thinking of them being uncomfortable on her account. In the morning, Ashmore brought a fancy suit of boy clothes with breakfast, and she had to hide in the wardrobe while several of the boys she used to work with hauled up a huge brass bath and enough buckets of steaming water to fill it. S. had to fight laughter when she overheard a familiar voice grumbling that for all the hotels bragging that it was the most modern and luxurious of all the hotels in Springfield, it still didn't have indoor plumbing and hot water that could be pumped up to the top floors, like two hotels, just on the other side of the square. She would have stayed in the bath for a full half hour, if she had been permitted, but the fear of one of the men coming into the bedroom to fetch something terrified her into speediness. Still, she didn't mind. The new suit of fancy clothes felt wonderful, like a reward for her cooperation. S. had to laugh, to realize that while she enjoyed the freedom of her shabby clothes, there was something almost decadent about sturdy, fine-cloth trousers and matching coat, a silken vest and fine broadcloth shirt. The sturdy shoes were almost a revelation, after making do with shabby cut-down boots and triple thickness of socks to make them fit securely. S. stepped out into the main room of the suite to present herself for inspection. Everyone approved, and no one gave her an odd or suspicious look. So, her disguise held firm, despite losing the shielding layer of grime on her clothes and on her face, and without her sloppy, loose cap shadowing her face. Several of the other agents teased Ashmore that he was wasted as an agent. He should consider becoming a gentleman's gentleman. He had done such a good job estimating her size. He laughed and pretended to preen at their comments. S. supposed that such a good idea for heights and weights in people was a valuable asset for an agent. May I ask now why I need to be dressed up like I'm being shipped off to finishing school, she asked, when the comments ceased and the agents turned back to the diagrams of the hotel floor plans. Finishing school? Sutter's thin, slightly tense smile curved up just a little. Girls go to finishing school. I feel like a girl, all gussied up this way, she retorted, and didn't mind when her face warmed. The agents around her laughed again. She scolded herself to be careful of such slips in the future. We need your sharp eye. Collins pulled out his pocket watch, glanced at Sutter, and the senior agent nodded. Come along, lad, no time to waste. He beckoned and stepped to the door. S only hesitated a moment, though a dozen questions rose to her lips. They weren't planning on taking her out of the hotel in broad daylight, were they? She thought being immured in the suite all day yesterday, the pains they took to hide her presence from the hotel staff, was being totally wasted now. Muffling a sigh, she snatched up the new cap that matched her suit and slipped it on over her still wet hair. Collins said nothing as they strolled down the main stairs and out the front door. S tried not to look around. From the corners of her eyes, she watched for people watching her. No one seemed to give her a second look, but if they were conspirators, they would be careful not to give away anything by the slightest gesture or word, wouldn't they? Collins explained once they were two blocks away from the hotel and the train station was in sight. 
she would be positioned where she could see the platform and everyone who got within 50 feet of it. Essa's job would be to watch for the resurrectionists, plain and simple. The other agents, who were already getting into position, would take care of pinpointing anyone who looked suspicious and handle them. What if I see one of them? How do I let you know? That earned a grin from Collins. He taught her a simple series of hand signals, much like the finger language used by the deaf to communicate, but broader, to be visible and readable from a distance. He also gave her two small mirrors to catch the sun and get the attention of the agents who would be on the ground. He's coming by train, isn't he? The newspapers said the president was coming by airship to land out on the parade grounds, but he's coming by train instead. Clever lad, he nodded. It's too easy to shoot an airship out of the sky, launch bombs into the structure, send it crashing down. Trains are still safer, just because they're already on the ground and they can be armored. By the time President Lincoln's train came into the station, with a reassuring lack of pomp and circumstance, S. had already perched on the ledge of the water tower two hours. Her fine new suit seemed to be far too fancy for such a job, until she realized that the cloth was nearly the same shade of weathered dark gray of the paint of the water tower. She was nearly invisible, and if she sat still and didn't attract attention with movement, she would be. Besides, no one really looked upward unless they were given a reason. S. held still, though her bottom ached from sitting still for so long. She suspected that sitting down had been a mistake. What if she needed to move to follow someone who looked suspicious until she got at a better angle to identify him clearly? Her fears and questions didn't go away, even as the ramp was put up to the door of the front car of the train and soldiers filed off, spreading out across the train platform and through the station, before President Lincoln rolled off the train in his wheelchair. She almost forgot to watch for the resurrectionist as she studied the clockwork mechanism that gave the wheelchair the ability to move independently. A thick crossbar on the back probably took the place of the key, and through the grid work of the shield around the mechanism, she could see thick coils of springs. It probably took a strong man to sufficiently wind the clockwork. President Lincoln steered the wheelchair with a long lever that came up between the supports for his legs. She shuddered a little in sympathy when he came out into the sunshine and she saw how emaciated and pale he looked compared to the tinted drawings she had seen of him through the years. Rumors said he had an illness that should have killed him years ago. S. had heard many people say that it wasn't the doctor's skills, the constant medical attention necessary after the failed assassination attempts that kept him alive. Rather, his dedication to the Union, to ensuring the healing and repairs after the devastation of the war, kept him alive despite everything done to him. "'I'm not so much a gargoyle, am I?' President Lincoln asked, his eyes bright with amusement that gave a lie to the sickly pallor of his face." S. stumbled into the room, half expecting a dozen soldiers to leap from hiding and arrest her. Sutter had gestured for her to go into one of the meeting rooms on the first floor when she and Collins returned to the hotel, and she had thought there was more work to do, one more conference regarding hotel security. She saw Mr. Lincoln's wheelchair before she saw him, and stopped short, long enough for the president to turn around, see her, and smile. "'Sir, I'm sorry, sir,' She glanced over her shoulder and was stunned to see Collins wink at her as he pulled the door shut behind her. I didn't know. I thought... She gave up, 
knowing whatever she said to explain her mistaken ideas would only make her sound like a babbling fool. Abraham Lincoln leaned back in his wheelchair and chuckled, the sound warm and healthy, comforting. He held out a hand, beckoning, and S. finally unlocked her legs and crossed the room to him. She sat down in the chair set facing him and let herself breathe a little easier. You, young man, are in very good over with our estimable Mr. Sutter. He thinks very highly of you, and I wanted to thank you for your cleverness and your help. He winked and leaned forward and softened his voice. Just between you and me, I am most grateful to have had my traveling plans rearranged. My boys are mad about airships, but I prefer to keep my feet on solid ground. He patted the arm of his wheelchair, so to speak. Yes, sir. We're already at the end of today's chapter. I hope you enjoyed yourself and you're eagerly looking forward to the next episode of Ye Old Dragons Library. <laughs>